To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? I uh, got a brand new podcast for you. So this week I have back on Tony Treach. Um, I draw a lot of motivation from Tony. Uh, he killed a giant mule deer in Colorado this year, and and his dedication to to these Western hunts is is in all, it's inspiring. Like he left his house for like two to three months, and I'm I'm trying to recall the details of the podcast, but we talk about it. But he left his house, drove out west to hunt all these different species in different states. He had two of everything in his truck. Um, he scouted for that Colorado mule deer for, for weeks leading up, um, looking for bucks and areas. And it was a new unit to him. Um, he, he's just a, a great hunter, um, super disciplined, uh, puts in the hard work and, and then in turn, he, he gets consistent success. Um, so a really fun podcast as we, we lay out all the logistics and, and we, we break down the hunts he went on and, and, and there's just tips uh, they're just throughout this podcast. So I really enjoyed the conversation and I, I know you guys will enjoy it too. Sponsor for today's show is Everly Stock Packs. Um, Everly Stock's just a great company that builds great packs. I've been using them now for the last handful of years and I, I run three different packs. I run their Destroyer, which is for my longer style hunts, five to 10 days where you can carry a lot of cubic inches, packs the weight really well. So like I use that in Colorado this year, when you kill a buck, you can get your entire camp and the buck out. Um, so, so I really like that pack. And then I use the little big top for, um, shorter trips, like anything from an overnight trip to five days. Um, you know, it's, it's less cubic inches, but it's a lighter pack. Um, so I, I really like that one. I use that one a bunch. And then, um, I got their kite pack this year, which is just a, a super day pack. I'm really enjoying that one. It's really lightweight, but it, it packs the weight well. And if you kill an animal, you can get them out of country. Um, but I'm really impressed with that pack. They, they just build packs that are, that are durable, that pack the weight well. You can get the weight on your hips, off your shoulders. They have good lift straps just everything you could want in a in a pack and for a reasonable price so thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast make sure to check them out and um with that yeah let's see what's going on over there at eastman's oh we got a a new deal we're doing um we've got our christmas gear guide um so make sure to check that out for for any gifts for um any hunters in the family and then we also have our christmas picks that are coming out in this next issue um, I, I've been writing quite a bit, uh, got some articles coming up that I'm really excited about and really excited about my photos that go along with it. Um, so it, it's just, uh, so fun to be able to express myself through writing. It, it's just this different platform where I, I love the podcast and I love this platform probably more than anything, but I, I also love writing. I love sitting down and being able to, to think and structure my sentences and paragraphs to say exactly what I wanted to say. And then, you know, I can go back over it and I can edit it and so it, it just comes out so so clean and, and crisp when I get done and 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 just hits all the key points that I want to touch on so I, I really enjoy writing um, so I got some good articles coming up make sure to check out the Eastman Hunting Journal Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and then we have a, a 
a new thing we're going to do with the podcast as well. Um, the the guys sat down. Um, so Mike Eastman is, is just a great storyteller, and we've had him on the podcast once before. Uh, but as he goes into these stories, it's just mesmerizing, and it, he's so good at it. And uh, so the guys over there at Eastman's, they sat down and recorded some of the best uh, of Mike's stories. And so I want to start to incorporate some of these in the podcast. So um, I haven't got the final answer yet, whether I'm going to edit it at the end of one of the podcasts or just put it as like a short story on its own. I think that's what I'll end up doing. But um, anyways, be on the lookout for those. And then also give me some feedback on them. Uh, Let me know if you like them. And then I'd like to incorporate other guys where we just put a short story on. Um, You know, I'm sure I could jump in there, but heck, that's what the podcast is, as I'm always telling my hunting stories, all those those solo ones. But I really like recording those solo ones. It's, it's um, you, you almost just gotta speak your mind as it as it comes to you. And and sometimes I get done and I was like, oh, I wish I would have added this or I I see a way I could have done it better. But I just want to keep improving. Um, it's it sharing those stories and then getting you guys the tips and tactics to make you better public land hunters. So, anyways, let's get this thing rolling. Um, this is a two parter with Tony. We went long on this one, but it's just a great episode. So, uh, you have to finish the first part. Uh, be on the lookout for the second part. I'll try to get them released right around the same time. And and um, so yeah, let's get this thing rolling. Tony Treach, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Sounds like you got the guard dog going this morning. Oh yeah, he's uh, he likes the sound of his bark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, man, uh, what a tour you've had, Tony. Man, it's been fun to follow along. You've been hunting like a madman. Yeah, it's uh, it's been been something. (laughs) It started out as a lot of lot of fun, but I mean. It's uh, I, I learned I learned some lessons this year. I, I need to take more breaks. Um, being gone that long from home straight is uh, it's not for me. Man, it's but. um yeah, it's it's really tough on things, isn't it? Like you you make these plans and you kind of make them you know during the winter and you want to fill your whole fall because you just love to hunt so much that you fill up like every day every week you know on all these back to back trips, but. I found the same thing. Like it's it's more stressful on me when I'm gone that long. Like I just a couple day break does does so good for the mind and for the soul and you know take care of a few things and then get back after it. That's what you found too, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was and I was take I'd take a break here and there. You know, every time I got one, I'd uh, I took my own little European skull cleaning kit. So I did I'd boil them down and, and take care of that, and that'd give me a day to kind of get all my gear situated and ready for the next hunt. But being that I'm from Michigan and, you know, I, I couldn't just go home and see, see Jody and the dogs and uh, the guys at work. And it just, that's the part that, that really started to eat on me after, after a couple months. But <laughs> yeah, it wasn't just a couple weeks, a couple months. So maybe let's just start <laughs> from the beginning. Like, um, so yeah, you're in Michigan and you plan this Western tour. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to take your truck yep all your things and you're going to go out west and then you're going to hunt all these back-to-back hunts and you actually started with like a two or three weeks of scouting is that right well ended up being that yeah i mean i every year starts for me in you know in january when i'm looking at all the different uh options i have for where i want to apply and 
it, it's funny, you know, everybody says you can't draw too many tags, but when you use my strategy of applying for the easiest tag there is to draw, sometimes you do draw too many tags, and that's um, that's kind of what happened to me this year. I, I mean, I was literally booked. I had booked, you know, I drew a tag that started me in the middle of August in Nevada and would take me all the way to about now, and then and then I and then you know I'm, I'm leaving for Kansas in a couple of days here as soon as I get a bunch of meat processed, and then I I still have hunts in January and December, and it, uh, it yeah. So I mean, I pack up the truck end of July and point it west and I mean I got everything in there for every type of hunt that I could possibly see and backups of everything I got a backup of everything um and uh just in case something goes wrong I mean if someone steal my truck I'd be my insurance company would roll their eyes when I tell them how much value I had in there um <laughs> it, it wouldn't be good but yeah I went I went to Nevada first um, I drew my first tag ever in Nevada, uh, and I didn't spend a whole lot of points on it, but it was enough that, you know, it, it would have been the most points I ever spent on a hunt, um, which is only like six or seven. So it, <clears throat> I'd heard conflicting things about maybe how the, the deer were doing this year and there, and once I got there and, you know, I spent, I backpacked into two different areas, covered, you know, over nine days, and uh, I saw three mature bucks. And by mature, I'm just saying something over three and a half. I mean, not even real old bucks. One might have been real old, but he also saw me at the same time I saw him. And then I spent two days trying to turn him up again. And I had the perfect uh, glassing point to watch his entire area. He literally vanished. Um, so I figured after after nine days, if I can only turn up three bucks, um, it's probably not, you know, it's it, I'm going to be banging my head against the wall once the sheep hunters and the elk hunters and the other deer hunters get in there and start pushing things around. Um, it was super dry. Finding water was tough, which I, I mean, I kind of knew that was going to happen. That's probably like that on a good year, but um, the, the mature bucks I did see were, you know, I saw a 28 inch three by three that had a monster body and thinking that's probably on a good year, you know, a, a different type of buck. Um, so I, I took advantage of Nevada's, uh, Oh, their you know their their tag turn-in process, and the day before season, I decided to you know cut my losses and turn the tag, and then head back uh, or head head to Colorado, and you know give me an extra week to scout there. Uh, and I'm glad I did because I my my summer scouting trip in Colorado with Jody really would we didn't turn up a whole lot of we didn't turn up anything that I'd really consider a shooter. Um, it's hard to tell the first week of July too. Sometimes they they really turn on the afterburners on the growth. Uh, you know, mid-July, but, or, you know, so, so I, I was able to go back over there to Colorado and, um, and I'd never hunted that unit before. And I, you know, I scouted my butt off for, I think it was about 10 days. Um, yeah, cause, uh, I think it was the 14th or 13th or something. I turned in that tag in Nevada and I was there a day later in season, I think opened the 25th this year in Colorado. And, um, I ended up finding a, a handful of good bucks that I'd be happy with in that 175 to 180 range. And there was a couple that were one that, well, he ended up being a lot bigger, but you know, sometimes those deer fool you in Colorado, I, more so than Kansas mule deer, more so than Wyoming or Montana. I mean, I just, I see pretty consistent size heads and bodies and ears in all those other states, but sometimes those Colorado deer, you just, and I think Arizona too, so I've seen them there where it just, just the heads on them are so big 
if you don't see them with a whole bunch of other deer to kind of compare and say, oh, my gosh, that's just a giant body deer, it's kind of hard to tell how big they are, and it's easy to underestimate them. And that, that was the case with the buck that I ended up shooting. Um, he was always alone. and Well, not always. I have some with bucks a couple times, but and the first time I did, it was kind of eye-opening. I was thinking at first that I was looking at him and a couple of bucks that maybe were pushing 160, and then all of a sudden, you know, he steps out right next to him, and it's like, Mm, either either those are not 160 bucks or he's just making them look small but and it ended up being the case he was he was a lot bigger than i thought but he wasn't my first choice you know i, I got on a i found a better buck boy i think two or three nights before the season opened um i got a tip from a guy which you know it's hardly ever work out but a quick hike up into the area he said he'd seen some bucks and he didn't have a t- an archery tag he had an, a, a muzzleloader tag and uh he's a local that um, I had met and we, uh, started sharing information and it ended up being beneficial for both of us. Uh, we helped each other out quite a bit, I think, but, uh, it worked out. There was a big, uh, couple big bucks in that group. One easily over 200 inches, um, extras, inlines, just the kind of buck we all dream about, but they were living in a spot that was, if somebody came into a certain camping spot that wasn't too far from them, they would be blowing them out of there for sure. And, and uh, in those, in those, you know, you, it was a sheer cliff from where the deer were to the campsite, and ended up uh, they ended up blowing them out, <clears throat> and the people didn't even know. I mean, I'm not even sure they were hunters. Actually, when I saw them opening morning, I, I think they were just just some happy hikers that were in there at the wrong time, and for me, anyways. And um, but I was able to from that camping spot that I was at up high, I was able to move over to uh, my 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 bee buck, my plan. Plan B, uh, and he was he was riding two units. He was like like where my camp was was literally like you know one side of the camp tent. If I get out, I'm in my unit. And the other side, I'm in the other unit. <laughs> and I had seen him before the season started in both units, about equal. So I knew it was just a matter of time. If if he didn't have pressure, he would eventually wander you know on onto both you know and I'd get a chance at him. At least I thought, but it took three days before he, actually four days, uh, the fourth day, he finally, uh, he got a little help from some other hunters over in the, in the other unit because he was actually progressively getting further and further from the line. And I was actually losing hope that, that he was going to cross back over my side. I mean, every day I'd see him just lounging out in the sun <laughs> and there was just like imperfect spots to go shoot and he's in the wrong unit and I'm just sitting there on a cliff waiting and, uh, Finally, some hunters found him and his uh, little group of buddies that, you know, he'd still keep his distance from. He was a couple hundred yards away from the morning that I saw these other hunters, and they, I saw him sneaking in. You know, again, you could totally tell they were out of stock. You know, they got the crouched over approach, and one guy's over the one shoulder. There was only one of them that had a tag, apparently, cause, or at least on that stock. Um, cause he only had one bow, and they, uh, well, they actually didn't see the good buck, and they ended up shooting one of the smaller bucks which still a good buck, I mean, 160 inch deer. And they blew my deer right over to me. And I wish you could say it was that simple, but he ran, there's only one saddle on this ridge and he came right up it and crossed. And, you know, I was scrambling like you, I mean, I'm sitting there in my puffy pants and jacket and tripod and backpack. And I, I mean, as soon as I saw these guys dump that other deer and the, my buck watched the entire thing, <laughs> as soon as it, you know, that deer hit the ground, he stood up, and turned my way like nope I'm out and uh and here he come 
you know, covered a thousand yards in no time, beat me around to the other side where I could see where he was going. I actually just got there in time to see him running past my tent, which I camped, you know, a quarter mile, half mile away just to just to keep my scent at night and the thermals from drifting down into his side or whichever side he'd be on. And he was flying past my tent to one of the spots. Actually, I hadn't seen him, but uh, another guy I ended up talking to had found that buck during the summer a couple times in these shoots. And crazy steep to kind of, I mean, I watched him go across a shale slide that, you know, as he's, as he's trotting across it, moving pretty fast. I can see his feet sliding out from underneath him, and he's just the only reason he's not tumbling is because he's a deer and he's just flying across this stuff. I mean, there's no way I could walk across that without just the first step. I'm I'm gone. I'm sliding in 100 feet and then launching over a cliff. So I mean, I watched him go into these shoots and the real narrow avalanche shoots, and I had to get in order to see him again. I had to get some elevation even higher. Um, luckily, there was a big flat top on one of the uh, peaks there. Uh, that I had already camped on during the summer, just to, just during scouting, and I got up there and was able to relocate him and put a stalk over on him, and only to see him get, you know, I got to where his bed was and peeked over and saw him another 150 yards away, moving across another, you know, shoot to a next one, and we played that game for a while, and I and I couldn't just cross again and follow him. <laughs> I had to go all the way back up the top and all the way across and all the way down, and it took all day um, to basically catch up to him and when, when he finally decided he was going to stay in a shoot and when he did it was a, a point blank uh shot it was the closest shot i've ever had uh probably on a mule deer um and uh, straight down is one of those one of those moments where you're thinking now when it's this close do i use my 40 yard pin or do i use my 10 yard pin because he was in like 12 15 feet and straight down and about the time i was trying to figure out which pin to use he kind of sensed something was up and just kind of looked up at me and I'm like, Oh yeah, we're going to shoot now. <laughs> it just, I just centered it between his shoulder blades at that range. I'm thinking either side is getting lungs, you know, and he's right below me, you know, and all I can see is his back. And I basically hit right where I was aiming. And I mean, that iron will brought it basically didn't just break his spine. I mean, it, I, I've never, I guess that close and I'm shooting a really heavy arrow, but I mean, I literally broke his spine in half. And he starts tumbling and rolling, um, can't really, you know, move, you know, use his legs, but he starts sliding down this chute and I thought it was gone. Uh, I, I'm just thinking he's, he's not coming back. Like I'm going to have to get a bag of meat at the basically at the bottom of this hill or mountain. Uh, but his antlers actually caught up in the rocks and held him up probably a hundred feet from sliding over a vertical you know, cliff that's, I don't know, uh, at least 500 feet, uh, maybe more straight down. Well, not straight down. There'd be lots of rocks to bash off on the way down there, but um, messed up his, his velvet pretty good, And um, but I was just happy to, you know, put my hands on him. He didn't, he didn't go anywhere. And that's kind of when I figured out, holy crap, he's 30 inches wide, and his G, G4s are 14 inches, you know, long, and his G4s are literally like five and three quarters in diameter, like, like circumference. They're just I mean, I've got I've shot mature bucks with main beams at the bases that don't have the mass he has at the on his G4s. So he's he's pretty special. He's got way over 40 inches of mass, and I mean he's he's a giant, really big, typical. If he had back forks to match his front, he 
Yeah, he'd be pretty pretty amazing. Oh, I mean, he still amazing. he is amazing, Tony. Yeah, what a buck! I love it when they hold their mass like that. They're so bladed oh. and heavy, and like you mm-hmm. say, the main beam that makes the buck. That's a big mature buck, and I. I know exactly what you're talking about, underjudging those deer from Colorado, from Wyoming, those big 300-pound bodied mule deer. Like I shot one one time that I thought was a mid-170s buck, and he ended up 190. His ear-to-ear, tip-to-tip spread was 27 inches, you know? Like I I thought the buck was, you know, 24 wide, and, you know, he ended up being 28 wide, and I got up there just so heavy, you know? I just underjudged him, so. I know exactly what you're talking about. That man, what a wild story on that thing. And then and then you had a couple good points there too, like the those deer I always think I can walk everywhere a deer can. I can't. Those things, <laughs> they can watch, walk some hillsides. I remember I was blood trailing a buck I shot one time that ran across a chute, and I started following blood out there, and I got to the middle of that chute, and it got too steep for me where I had to somehow turn myself back around, make it to the other side, and then circle all the way around and pick up blood on the other side. But those things can walk some really steep country. But I think that's interesting. So you found that giant buck, and I, I think a good point to make for guys listening, like you're – an absolute killer tony and you're you're so meticulous with your preparation and your scouting and that's the reason you are so successful and and you spend time doing it you know you structured your life to where you have the time to be able to go out and scout that many days and hunt that many days but the truth of the matter is no matter how good we get we that still doesn't mean that we're going to kill our first choice buck every time or that we find a big buck and he's marked for death like you you find that buck like oh, you yeah. found like that was a giant buck that you'd do anything to kill and you're trying to play it patient and make all the right moves and you have some campers in there that come out there and blow them out and you know I I found my dream buck this year and I I made the best play and the best stalk and right into bow range and he was 30 yards and walked out and turned and walked away from me and I I finally did get a chance at him but i i ended up missing him i ended up wind drifting right by the front of his chest and you know that deer disappeared Mm -hmm. and i couldn't find him three four days i know he didn't cross out of that unit but he dropped down somewhere or changed locations and i just couldn't find him again and i i think it's important that it is really special when we kill a big deer like that like it's not always meant to be in a given that we're going to kill the biggest buck in the in the world and we we find these big bucks like it's still you just like you kill you you don't kill every one you find and a lot of times they're just gonna beat you you know but you you found that big buck I think that's so cool like I I really got a lot of motivation out of you being so patient on that big buck that you found like I remember you were sitting on him for three or four days um I I remember seeing in your Instagram post and and then those guys shot the smaller one chased him into your unit made a a great stock and then shot down on him. So, okay, you shot straight down through that spine. Um, how heavy is your arrow, Tony? Uh, 518. 518. 518. Yeah, you do shoot yep. a heavy one. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of times when I'm shooting straight down on those mule deer, I'm trying to miss that spine to the left or the right. Um, it, and it's um, it, it's like a, just the energy in your bow and the weight of that arrow, you were able to break that spine. Did it get through the spine and get the vitals, or did hitting that spine and him rolling is what killed him? Uh, it got through the vitals. Well, it got through – I didn't get much penetration. I mean, it probably broke the spine. I mean, it was really like 
yeah, it, it, I'd never seen a spine snapped like that. But then the arrow was probably sticking, I don't know, three, four inches below it. So, I mean, it, it cut up it cut up enough that by the time I got to him, he was done. Yeah, so. got in there and did its damage. Yeah, that's um, wild, the energy that you're carrying. And you said you were super stoked with that broadhead and the way it performed. Yeah, cut, oh, yeah, cutting a spine like that. I don't know that I've ever seen that with an arrow. And what's, what's your I draw length, either. Tony? Uh, 29 inch draw length, and I'm shooting the Hoyt uh, RX1 Turbo. Uh, that boy was that. I got the Ultra and the Turbo, but that was the Turbo. Well, just that. So it's spitting them out there pretty good. Oh yeah, in that close range too, that helps. You don't lose, um, you know, much yeah. velocity or speed at that close. It's pretty much the speed it's coming out of the bow. That's wild that you thought about oh. shooting off your 42. So you must be like the same as me. If I can't get outside and shoot my bow, I'm shooting inside my garage, and I'll shoot five yards. But it's wild. Your 20 pin yeah. no longer is good at five yards. At five yards, right. like you say, right. it's your 30 or your 40 pin that dictates where your arrow goes. So mm-hmm. you were so close to this deer that you were thinking of shooting your 30 or your 40 <laughs> on them. And then all of a sudden oh, yeah. stuff happened and you just had to go into crunch mode. Do you end up shooting them like off your 20 or probably all your pins were about where you wanted to hit being that close? Yeah. I, well, it's funny. This year when I set up uh, both the Hoyts, I actually – uh, set my top pin at 30 just because I've never actually used a 20. Um, I mean, I just, you know, they shoot so flat if, at 20 yards. My 30 pin is just, you know, I just hold it two inches low and I'm fine. Um, so I actually just kept the, the 30 right on them and, you know, it, it, it might've went an inch, uh, higher than, than, you know, than it was, but it was, yeah, it was fine. The, um, the other thing I was worried about was, you know, when you're shooting straight down like that, um, the arrow, you know, gravity kind of grabbing the arrow maybe off the rest. Because, uh, I mean, it was it was one of those shots that you're, you you got to kind of watch where your bottom cam is with your legs because, in you know, if, if the bow is hanging completely vertical, or the arrow is, and the bow is perpendicular and horizontal, that, that, that arrow could actually come off the rest. And then it, who knows where the heck it's going to go. But uh, I guess there was enough, enough downward pressure on the rest. It, everything worked out. Yeah, there's a lot that could have gone wrong in that scenario too. It's it's not a get. You get really close to those mule deer. The shots are not a given on those things. And and I always say too, those mule deer, they're as good at jumping a string as any animal out there too. And at your yardage, he wasn't going to jump the string. But any little reaction there, or like you say, the arrow coming off the rest, or um, and you didn't have a big window to hit him there, being straight above him, that's a tough shot to make. You know, it's a it's a small spot that you got to hit to hit those vitals and get in through there. Um, yeah, you definitely came through under pressure on that shot. Yeah, there was a, there was a no shit moment for sure. When I was like, <laughs> you know, he turned to look up. I'm like, Oh, no time to just gotta shoot. And you know, he was, he was basically the reason he probably rolled down is he was probably starting to, you know, pop up when I actually, you know, when the, the arrow met him. Um, but yeah, got lucky. Um, Super thankful for him. Oh, what a buck, Tony. Man, that thing is so impressive. That was so fun to see. Um, yeah, I was super stoked for you. And then I I get motivation out of guys harvesting deer like that. Like I, And especially the work you put in. I love when, when hard work equals success. I love that the guys that are mm-hmm. working the hardest and putting the most time in it. And like I say, your preparation, you're so meticulous. Like you were just talking about setting up your Hoyts. That's not one. It's two of the exact same model with the exact same 
same stuff on it and, and testing and shooting those bows yep. throughout the season. So you've got, you know, you said you have two of everything in your truck, and I believe you. I think you have two of absolutely <laughs> everything you have. Yeah, but no, I, I love seeing that man. I love seeing the the guys that are working hard and grinding, and and I love to see them accomplish their goals and accomplish a giant deer. But yeah, man, what a deer! Good for you. You got to be um, so proud of that moment. It probably still hasn't all set in yet, as you've been on the road continuing to hunt. You haven't even oh. really got home and had time to process everything or think about everything. No. But but what a freaking high country deer and and what a high country hunt you know, living up there and scouting uh how many days did you scout colorado then well uh we went out there in july it was kind of a, a you know i wanted to do a i had a bunch of gear i was testing too and i wanted to get some some mountain time before season started with it and i also wanted to get jody out there to, to spend some time with me because i want her to i knew i'd be gone all fall and i was hoping that she'd be able to come out and spend a week with me on one of my elk hunts later in the fall. And uh, so it was kind of like a kind of make sure her gear is up to snuff too type trip. And so we were out there probably eight days in July. And uh, she also told me then, she's like, uh, it's cold. This It's July and it's cold. What's it going to be like in October? And I kind of had to break the news to her that it's probably, this is as warm as it's going to get. <laughs> and because of that, she didn't, it didn't end up coming out. But so we... Had eight days there. I probably had yeah ten days beforehand, uh, right before the season. Um, and you know, in those days, aren't all, you know, I'm. There's a, you know, there's there's covering ground. Like I said, it was a new unit, so not all of it was just like going to spots that you know from previous experience. That okay, if I go here to this glassing spot, I'm gonna find buffs. A lot of it was just finding those glassing spots. Um, it takes it takes me a few years to really feel like. You know, a few years in a unit to to feel like I can I can go there and make scouting really efficient. I mean, this year was kind of you know me feeling my way around a new unit. Uh, and, and the reason I chose a new unit this year, I mean, I've had great luck in Colorado, but my old units turned into a one point unit, and I like to hunt every year, and I don't want to have to rely on a landowner tag or uh, a leftover. So I chose a new zero point unit, and uh, so the learning process. You know, this year was it was it was it was probably smoother than I expected. Um, but the uh, there's definitely you know there was some moments where you you spend all day during that scouting time and you don't even find a good you know your glassy knob is just you know doesn't turn out to be what it was or there's tracks all human tracks all over it or sometimes you know some of that big country up there you can find basin after basin after basin that are perfect deer habitat have water lush lush flowers and food and forbs and there's just zero deer i don't i don't know how to explain it why i don't but it just happens um and i've I've found that in multiple units i i'm not real sure exactly why they choose some units over others but and it doesn't necessarily always make sense you know some of them are sometimes those deer are right over top of a highway in their basin you know where they're 30 minutes from a trailhead but yet you can go eight miles deep, and there's beautiful, perfect basins that don't have anything in them. Man, and so that is uh, such the truth, Tony. Well, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't mean to be stuck on that high country mule deer hunt. I was just so impressed with what you accomplished <laughs> and the time you put in, and then to see it all work out. But yeah, you're right. Like um, 
high country basins and high country mule deer, like you, you make your best e-scouting plan you can with multiple different areas, and then you hike back in some of these areas that that have the same features as areas that have deer. You're right, or void of deer, and I think it's just that you know there's a population of bucks back there, and and the bucks they group up in bachelor herds, and you know I always say you find bucks where bucks are living, but they they group up, and I think their numbers are just condensed, and then they find a backcountry basin that they like, and that's where all the numbers of the bucks are. And then there's other basins that are left void that still have good food. And and I think that deer do get in there and live at times, but I, I'm with you. So when you're scouting yeah. or when you're hunting high country mule deer, it's about covering country. And there's a lot of days that are slow, that are boring, that make you question what you're doing even up there. And especially with all the scouting days you had and hunting days, like there's got to be some days where you don't turn up a deer and you put so much effort into it to get way back in there, hike up there, and you got this good bet, and you get on the master vantage point, you can see the world up there. And you just don't find a buck. Like, those days are tough. Like, then you've got to pack up. What's your next plan? Hike all the way out, back in, keep moving. And so you start questioning things in your head. But it's like you just got to keep that eternal drive of I will find a buck. I will find a good one. And, and when I do, I'm going to make my best play at them. But I just got to keep covering country until I find them. But there's a lot of slow days in there where you kind of question your sanity and, and you have to keep your resolve and, and keep your goals in the back of your head and just keep going and keep looking but i'm sure that was the case there too especially learning a new unit that there was a lot of places where deer were not (laughs) oh yeah yeah and it was yeah you know like i said i didn't think my deer was as big as he was so i'm thinking in the back of my head you know all i found is you know my my top range buck until that i found that one group you know a couple days before season i i was thinking well all i found is 180 bucks uh nothing no like super you know giants uh which i usually find you know at least one or two to to at least chase but i guess uh i just gotta be i gotta i gotta improve my game of uh figuring out how the heck big are big they are when they're on the hoof uh <laughs> there some you know sometimes and then the opposite can be happening too i mean i had a chance this year on another hunt just to find a deer that wasn't as big as i thought he was and he ended up i mean we can get to that later but you know different state but he was a, he was the opposite it was almost a dwarf deer but oh yeah that can happen too well it's it's tough to tell that mass on them and mass makes the buck and older massive deer they just score better but they don't look long everywhere like their their mass kind of hides their length in different places and and like you say when you're looking at a deer that's 300 pounds and it's got this huge mule head on them you know like it it, it's easy to underjudge them but you'd rather have that than overjudge them and like you say you can turn a pretty good buck with good forks and think he's bigger than he is and you get up and it's just a younger age class deer and you know mass you're talking an inch in the wrap makes all the difference in the world and it's just it's tough to see that through a spotting scope or it's tough to be a hundred percent and i'm a pretty good mule deer judge and i know you are too but we can get fooled you know and and usually i'm within that 10 inches or so all the time but every once in a while one will fool me and i'll be off so you didn't think that buck was as big you just thought he was a well, you thought he was a good buck, like a 180-inch deer, and then he grew on you yeah. 10, 15 inches when you harvested him, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's 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 close to 200. So yeah, he he definitely grew a lot. <laughs> oh, that is wild. So finished up uh, that hunt. That was incredible, Tony. I was so impressed and yeah. uh, pumped for you and able to kill high country deer in just so many days into it. Like I say, it's so impressive. So you went straight from that, processed that deer, and then what was your next hunt up? Uh, yep, got that deer, uh, the skull prep and everything, so I could uh, get on the road. And because nowadays, you know, I can't travel. Uh, well, you can't cross state lines with with brain matter. So, uh, you know, I did my euro on them, got the meat froze, tossed them in the coolers, and headed to my next spot. Dropped off the meat, you know, that buck and all some gear I didn't need, uh, and uh, it was for a uh, Colorado archery uh, elk. And it was my first time ever hunting a limited entry tag in Colorado. I've always just hunted the over the crowner elk in Colorado, and um, that was another so yeah another new, uh, new learning experience and and figuring out um a unit uh probably not the right year to pick that unit there was a big a pretty good size burn in it and uh, it closed off you know probably 25 20 percent of that unit which of course when you have a giant burn that happens early summer and then they get lots of late rains and you or the forest service and you block it off don't let any hikers hunters anybody no foot traffic no no nothing it turns into a giant elk haven <laughs> and it was absolutely jurassic park in there the feed was six eight inches tall i talked to the game warden and i said so so we're not allowed in there no one's in there but except for the trail workers for the forest service and he's like yep yep he's like we're writing fines every day for guys trying to trying to hunt the edges or sneak in there he's like it is jurassic park there are bulls running in there all day long they know there's no humans it didn't take them very long to figure out that they've got this giant sanctuary so that pulled in a lot of bulls and i i honestly didn't run into a whole lot of guys that did very well i mean this isn't a super high-end unit only took a few points to get but um i decided to get as pretty far away from that burn and i started just i mean it was hot and finding water up high was was tough so i'm thinking you know so my my mindset was you know i I, i'm not the best out caller um just because i've always i've never put a lot of practice into it i i rely on my ambush and spotting you know spot and spot techniques to kill my elk most of the time and uh i thought well i'm gonna just put my strengths to the best use i'm gonna get up high in an area and and try to spot them and then you know and it didn't take long to figure out that there was there was a bunch of creeks that were dry up high, but so, so when you found a, a creek that had a lot of water in it, there was elk around it. And I was, I was in bowls almost every day, um, in good bowls. I, I mean, and I, I found a couple that were, you know, 350, 360 type bowls. And I was just, you know, struggling to get, <laughs> struggling to get in close to them when they had, you know, so many, you know, probably the minute, most, most, most of those herd bulls had between 10 and 20 cows. Some had 30. Um, I saw one big old guy that had, and he might've been one of those elk that actually kind of deceived me too. I, he might've been a lot bigger than I thought, but I was, I was putting him about 350, but he had 80 cows and, and, and raghorns and satellites around him. And it was just, it was insane. And for the first week, you know, I'm, as I'm, trying to get close to these bigger bulls and passing up younger bulls. And the very first day I passed a 300 inch bull, a nice solid six by six with solid tops, solid bottoms. He just wasn't, you know, he looked like a good four year old or maybe a giant or big three year old. 
And the next day I'm thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you passing a 300 inch buck or bull? This could really come back to haunt me. And so, so I'm, you know, I'm trying to get these, get in on these bigger bulls and it, you know, as a week after a week went by, I'm really kicking myself in the butt. And, um, you know, I, I ran into some other guys and from Wisconsin, really nice guys, uh, Told I mean, and, I, and I'm when you run in, when I run into somebody out hunting, I'm usually brutally honest about what I'm doing, what I'm seeing, because I, I I'm, and I'll be honest too. I'm like, this is where I'm hunting. So if you go in there, we're gonna be hunting it together, and you know, and I don't, and I don't, I don't beat around the bush about where I'm at because I don't want them to come into my, you know, I want them to know if they're gonna go there, I'm already there. And if you're the type of guy that's okay with hunting next to me, then well, it's kind of screwed up for both of us. But at least you'll you'll know what you're getting into. And so, um, those guys actually, they did end up in my area or even my little spot that I'd kind of been hunkered down in. And we had a crazy night actually when I ran into them, it was just probably one of the better nights in there. And, uh, we all saw big bulls. We all came really close and they're good guys. And we talked about it and, and I never asked them to leave, but they told me, they said, you know, we didn't mean to even come up this close, but you know, when you, when you go up to a certain point, you see a big bull and you go to him, you just don't even think about sometimes that, oh shit, this is where that guy we met from Michigan is hunting. So anyways, we, I put him on a couple of our bulls that I had found since I had talked to him last and, uh, and they kind of left that area and, uh, we had, we had blown it up pretty good that night. I mean, uh, a couple of cows had seen us and led the whole group out of there. The bulls didn't see us. And uh, it was one of those moments where, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm trailing behind a bull. He's at the end of the herd. The herd's already well over the top, you know, and we're talking above Timberline. And I see him 150 yards up the top of the hill, just cresting the hill. He turns around, bugles one last time to me as I'm cow calling to him. And as soon as he crest, you know, as soon as his, his head was behind over that ridge, I dropped my pack and sprinted as fast as I could. <laughs> and it wasn't that it was short lived because I was just, I mean, even after being in the mountains for a month and a half, I was just, it was pushing my limits. And I got up there just in time to see him about a hundred yards away with another bull. And it was a big club bull. And he had this, the one on the left side was all just, you know, there was a spike, like a 22 foot long saber, big old pitchfork on the front and a giant club on the side. And, and they were actually, walking side by side by side like they were not even it was it was the most bizarre thing but they at the time i think were actually satellite bulls to the bigger bull that was with or you know with with the cows um you know and about that time the, the two guys from wisconsin kind of worked their way up there to me they were trying to run up there too and uh, as we talked there for the next half hour and had some laughs uh we could hear them bulls all just screaming at each other just over the ridge and those guys weren't backpacked in. They were just day hunting in there. So I, you know, I, I set up my tent that night and listened to him scream all night long over the ridge. And when I woke up in the morning, the club bull had all the cows. He had, he had uh, taken over the herd and the other two bigger bulls were both gone. Um, and I think they were, they, they were both bigger than him as far as antlers. I mean, they had both sides, uh, but they were both, they looked like younger, younger bulls. They didn't have the mass, the body size on them was a little bit smaller. And I, I want to say that saber that comes off his club side might be a pretty good tool for, uh, for fighting. Cause it would basically put, put his time right in the belly bull space. That's a bull killer for but sure. He, oh man. And who knows? He may have, 
you know, there wasn't any blood on the time, but I mean, but anyways, he was, you know, I had blown so many opportunities and I'm, I've talked to you about it before. I'm probably over aggressive with elk and probably don't give them as much. I don't give them as much respect as I do deer. And that, that's cost me a lot of bulls. Um, and I need to change that. But I, uh, that morning he didn't want to leave the timber or I mean the, uh, he didn't want to go to the timber. He didn't want to leave the open, you know, side of the mountain and the cows kept going and trying to get down and he'd hook them and bring them back. And this lasted until probably 10 o'clock before he finally just gave in and followed them. And I watched straight where they went. It wasn't a giant spot. And you were talking a spot that's hundred yards by hundred yards and they're all in there. And I mean, I know all the trails to around the, you know, game trails around there and the winds in my favor. It was one of those moments where I'm like, all right, the winds, the thermals have calmed down. I'm going to sneak right down there below them and I'm going to, I'm going to sneak up on them and, you know, and you walk 10 feet and you feel the wind in the back of your head. And you're like, nope, 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 not yet. And you walk back and then you, and, you know, 15 minutes later you try it again. You end up working like a path on the ground where you keep walking halfway there and then turn around and come back. And it's like, damn it. I just, you know, it's like I'm doomed if I do or damned if I do and damned if I don't. If I, if I sit here, who knows what it'll do. And, and that was probably the only reason I killed him because if that wind hadn't been swirling at, you know, the further I got down in that canyon, I bet you he, uh, yeah, I would have went in there and blown him out. But as it, as it was, it, you know, I, the wind was never perfect. So I'm like, fine, I'm just going to sit here. I got a perfect view. There's no way they can get out of there without me seeing them. So whichever way they go, I'll try to get in front of them. And, um, and that's it. And, uh, that, that was forced to be patient, I guess you could say. So the, uh, about two o'clock, there's a rainstorm that comes through one thirty, two o'clock. And, uh, boy, that I could hear the first thing I heard out, out of that group was his antlers coming through the brush. It was almost like he just plowed through, maybe he was pushing a cow or something through there, but they started popping out on the bottom and started working up same old hillside. They were on that morning and, uh, man, it was just, it couldn't have worked out better for me because there was all kinds of game trails traversing across on my side that I was able to easily get, you know, through the pines over to that open hillside. And then once I got there, there was that real low scrubby bristle cone that only gets about four or five foot tall, but it was almost, it was almost like someone planted it in rows and I was able to get on one side of one. It was pretty close to where they were working to and it angled. I mean, basically, you know, it was the two, their path and those bristle cone rows converged uh, a few hundred yards ahead and I was able to get ahead of them. And, um, they were still, he was still up there 140 yards and a spike. Thank God was only about 30, 40 yards from me. And that bull just decided that he was too close and he turned to leave his cows and came up there, met him halfway and, you know, spike got the hell out of there. And, uh, he turned and went back to feeding his way back to the cows. And it was at the end of my, my uh, range that I like to shoot, but I put a really good arrow into him, and uh, you know he, he runs out another 30 yards, you know, way past my effective range that I'd ever shoot at one if it wasn't, um, you know, already had an arrow in it. But I mean, I could see where I, my arrow hit right where I was aiming, right behind his last rib. But you just never know. And he's standing there, and he just kind of hunched up. I'm like, dial him up, to you know, dial the bow and send another one and uh it, it punched right through the center of his ribs and uh, he he didn't go 30 yards after that so he he got two good arrows they're both killers but um and then it was just a matter of that one i actually called then packers because it was it was pretty far in um 
So kind of broke down and called the Packers in. The next day was it was more of an adventure getting them packed out with the Packers. I'd have been better off uh, going down and renting two horses myself, but you let them learn. It was uh, quite These a rodeo, were, huh? Oh, my gosh. Never hire a Packer that's from a place – you know, when you're in the mountains, I mean, these people aren't from the mountains. They're from Kansas, and they're horse people for sure. They're super nice, but they were not prepared to, you know, we had to walk the horses, the mules off trail for a ways, and uh, they, we started at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I think I got back to the truck uh, 5 o'clock that afternoon with the meat, with their horses. At one point, the, the guy hands me the lead uh, rope to his mule and says you've done this before i said yep he's like by yourself i'm like oh yeah had horses i've done this by myself he's like, he just handed me his mule he's like go ahead i can't make it anymore <laughs> oh. thinking wow this is this, this is bad um and i just took i grabbed it and took off and then his partner then and him got in an argument and i'm like all right i'll just wait here and then eventually they crept back up and it was it was it was fun it was funny in hindsight, it's hilarious. Uh, at the time, I was thinking, I'm thinking, the sun is getting higher. I need to get my elk off the mountain. The reason I called these guys is because I knew how warm it was going to be today. And anyways, so so how uh, did you? Not all horsemen are. <laughs> well, good horsemen. It sounds like it just sounds like they're not used to the mountains. It sounds like just trying to get the yeah. horses there was was a tough endeavor for them. So how do you um, find those guys? It's it's so important when you're on those elk hunts and you're hunting deep in the backcountry like that. Those things are so heavy and yeah. you're by yourself. So did you talk to these yeah. packers prior to the hunt or did you Google them after you shot your bull or how did you find those guys, Tony? No, when, when uh, in Colorado, they have to be uh, licensed uh, to do it. And it's usually the outfitter that holds that license. So whenever I go to a an area in Colorado, I've always, you know, because I'm always alone, I always have the uh, the local outfitter or Packers uh, number on speed dial ready. You know, they're and I tell them before too. This is this is when I'm going in. This is the area I'll be at least to start. And uh, I hope if I get one down and I need you, I hope it works out. And they appreciate that too, kind of the heads up. Um, but yeah, no, I had I had that number of the local uh, the outfitter, which. He, Technically, I think he's the one that's licensed, and then these guys work underneath him. And they just they come up every year from Kansas, and they've been doing it. They said for 20 plus years. I must be the only one that shoots stuff there and up in the high and the steep stuff. And it wasn't even steep, you know. Going from like where I hunted Colorado deer to where I hunted Colorado elk, I mean, they kept complaining about how steep this was, and they couldn't believe that I expected their horse to be able to get up there. And I'm thinking. This isn't steep. These are, this is like rolling hills. <laughs> I mean, it's just mountains, there are no right? Cliffs, there are no shoes. Oh, the, I mean, yeah. I mean, they were mountains. I was up at 12,000 feet, but, you know, not all mountains are equal in steepness. So I know what you're talking about. We got them out. And Good. Yeah, it, it, it all worked out. And, um, yeah, so. Well, again, I, yeah, I just want to circle back. You made so many good points there, Tony. So your first... The, the first one, like um, you talked about finding water and finding the elk. Those elk, they just need water. And in that early season, yep. they do like to live up high like that, but they got to be around water. So you found water, found the elk. And then, you know, you talked about hunting them too aggressive, but I hunt elk aggressively too. Like it's just, it's the way they need to be. They're so nomadic and they move so much. And again, back to that original point that we made, you just don't kill every bull you find. They are extremely no. tough to kill. And, and you talked about you don't give them the respect as mule deer, so you can get away with more on a stock with an elk. 
but it the the degree of difficulty is dang near just as high or higher because they are so nomadic they're tough to catch up to like you'll see them and it's tough to catch them and then also (laughs) there's so many eyes up there like you say that big herd Uh. had so many eyes and so many cows and you know the bull is never on your side of the cows or hardly ever he's always amongst with them and so you just kind of have to play the game with elk, and, and you have to play the wind right, which you did when you talked about walking over the bull you killed and walking back and walking over and walking back. It just reminds yeah. me of me <laughs> hunting elk just to a T. Like I'm constantly trying to have yeah. this higher understanding of the winds and what it's doing, but you're just at the mercy of the way it, it rolls through the mountains, and I played the winds really good this season. Like I'm playing them better than I've ever played them, and maybe – you know, there's some luck too, but I, I just really have a good understanding and, and, and also like, it's so wild how, how it rolls over different land features and things of mm-hmm. that nature. And so you got to get the wind right, but elk, you got to just go get into them. You got to be aggressive and go try to make something yeah. happen, get the wind right and go make a play. And it, if it doesn't work, you don't push it or get reckless or spook them out of there, but you got to get in there and play the game. And sometimes you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Sometimes you end up spooking them or you end end up busting a cow you didn't see or a bull you didn't see or they just move off but man the degree of difficulty is just as high at killing a big bull and just to our point you just even though you can find a big bull it doesn't mean that you're going to kill him you just have to keep creating opportunities making your best play and eventually it works out if you spend enough time doing it but man big bulls on public land are tough to kill aren't they oh i the cows make you know they didn't have cows and satellites. It'd be a completely different game. Um, and maybe one of these years, I'll, you know, if, I, if there's every year I don't draw a good high country deer tag, maybe I'll concentrate on early, really early season uh, bulls where they're still bachelored up. Maybe that'll be a little bit easier. But um, yeah, look, there were several cows along that on that hunt that it was neither sex tag, and I was thinking, man. He, <laughs> they bust you so many times just like i'm just gonna kill a cow and take her home but yeah it was yeah but that was done and then uh stayed the course and like... killed a really nice bull good for you it's it's just it's not oh, yeah. an easy accomplishment elk or deer like it, it and it just um you know how your determination and how many days you put in again for elk like that's what it takes to be consistently successful you have to just be driven keep covering miles and you were in the elk party like you got into some spots that were epic elk hunting where they were bugling like crazy you're chasing those giant bulls you want to chase mm-hmm. past that 300 bull uh early in the hunt but man that's what it takes to kill them is you got to just keep getting into them and keep trying to create opportunity and 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 you don't want to make mistakes mistakes kill you you hate busting elk you hate blowing out elk or ruining an opportunity but you just got to keep trying keep trying to get into them but uh again it's it's just um you know uh, it, it due to your persistence again tony and 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 perseverance like you just kept after him made it happen on that bull made the right moves and then he came over and, and again like i love to just get close to the herd like you did like you snuck close to the herd yeah. close to that spike and then that bull came over to chase that spike sometimes the bull comes around the herd to check a cow sometimes the herd will just feed towards you but just getting close and kind of let things happen and you don't 
push it to a breaking point. You just get in and play the game right. and then let everything kind of materialize in front of you. And sometimes it works out and, and, and a lot of times it doesn't, but that that's bow hunting. But that's really cool, Tony, and a really nice bull. And so you you finished up that hunt in Colorado. So so you've you've been hunting now for a month straight probably? Uh, hunting and yeah, scouting. Was, I think, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. No, I, yeah, I've been... Yeah, it's probably about a month then since I left home. I'm, I'm guessing that was, boy, I, I don't remember the date exactly, but it was uh, third week of September sometime, yeah, when I got him. And then I went and grabbed my cooler or my freezers and coolers that were over at a, a buddy's house and uh, headed to Montana. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Um, first part done with Tony. Uh, what an adventure! This is crazy to leave your house for that long with with everything and go out west. Um, it's it's just such an adventure. Like I love hearing about this, and I love hearing about other guys' uh, dedication, determination, and, and then you know to to put in all this hard work and be successful. It's just it is so tough out west. It's so tough with a bow and arrow to to find consistent success. I mean, I work absolutely year round. It's uh, I'm not going to say it's the only thing I think about. Like I definitely my family is most important and I have to think about work and I have other things, but there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about backcountry hunting and how I can get better and how I can improve. And, and I, I mean, for me personally, I just want to work harder than ever um, on my shooting and on my physical fitness this last weekend um, hunting, uh, uh, backcountry mule deer, uh, late season mule deer is in the deep snow. Man, it wore me out, and and I hardly ever get worn out. If I see a buck, I can I can make it there, and I I go for it. And I did the same thing last weekend. I went for it for every good buck that I saw. But I'm telling you, that snow beat me up. A foot to two feet of snow and trying to climb those mountains. Like, I, I hit a level of exhaustion that I haven't been for a little while. And, and it's a wake-up call for me that, you know, I just can't rest on my laurels. I can't rest on the things that I've done. i got to keep pushing hard to getting better. Like, this this backcountry bow hunting, it, it's such a journey. And, and it's a personal journey. But anyways, those, those are just my personal thoughts on it. And, and this podcast drummed up a lot of those feelings for me, watching how dedicated and disciplined Tony is and how hard he works at his craft. And uh, I just want to be the same. I want to work really hard at my craft to be consistently successful and, and then share my my tips and tactics and insights and secrets I get with you guys. So um, really enjoy the, the podcast and sharing this and just so excited for the next year. But uh, really fun with Tony. Thanks a bunch, Tony, for being on. Make sure to look for the second part. It's just as good as the first part. And um, yeah, with that, sponsor is uh, Everly Stock Packs. Again, guys, I really like their packs. They're just built durable, stand-up company, stand-up human beings that work there. And um, they're, they're just designed to pack the loads that we need to pack. You can get the weight on your hips like you want, good shoulder lift lift strips, they, uh, lift straps. They also have a pack for every different need. I told you guys about the three packs that I'm using, and I'm really happy with all three of them. They also have other ones. I, I keep shopping their website thinking, what's the next pack I'm going to get or what's the next thing I'm going to look for because um, – I really enjoy having a different pack for every different style of hunt I, I do, and it doesn't have to be that way. You can find one good pack that's an overall pack that'll do all your needs for everywhere else, but 
for for every hunt you do but there's also like uh there's a niche pack for the certain hunt that you're on where you can cut a couple pounds and, and use a different pack and then you're just lighter going in i i just love having a different pack for every different hunt that i that i go on but um i'm a bit spoiled you don't need that you can find a pack that'll that'll fit your needs for every hunt that you do but thanks to everly stock they're just a great company and and thanks for sponsoring the podcast i I feel so grateful for these companies that that stand behind this this little podcast that I have and and get behind and um you know they 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 help pay for my time to 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 be able to get these guests on and sit down and record these podcasts and and um they help they help uh sponsor me to go to these these wild places or not sponsor me but you know through the podcast uh sponsoring the podcast it, it allows me to go on these different adventures to different places and i i'm just so grateful to have a company that that stands behind me like this and stands behind the podcast so thanks to those guys make sure to check them out and um yeah at eastman's be on the lookout for that uh mike eastman story i'm gonna get that thing edited here shortly and and put it out uh we recorded a handful of them so they should be good ones and uh also give me some feedback let me know what you guys think and uh yeah check out the gear guide um check out our christmas picks and and articles coming out in the magazine and man, i'm just super excited for the the upcoming season and planning new adventures and and um it's it's just uh it's so fun living living this adventurous lifestyle and and uh, living out my my passion what I love to do and and um, I know you guys are doing the same I sure enjoy the successful messages I've been getting I need to share some more of those on Instagram and be more active on Instagram I um you know as we got into hunting season it just seems like I just have laser focus uh, trying to be out in the mountains and out in the hills and I I don't share as much as I should like those stories are a great way to let you guys in on what I'm doing and what I'm up to and and uh, good quality posts they don't take that long to do and it it uh it's a way I can interact with you guys so I, I just uh I need to be better at that and um yeah, just excited for this next season. Already running like a madman again, shooting my bow like a madman. I, I'm not gonna miss a day for the next year, and a lot of these are two a days. And just, just dive back into archery. And not that I haven't been into my shooting or working on it, but I just want to take it to another level. I I want to go. You know, if I get a shot that's inside my effective range, I want to make it 100% of the time. And um, to, to do that, I just have to be disciplined and be shooting my bow all the time, working on my bow, tinkering on it, learning it, finding the most forgiving uh, tune I can get on it and, and setup I can get on it. You know, I had that failure with my rest this year, that, you know, and I, I have that corrected and I have a rest on that I trust now, but I, I just can't, I can't have that happen again. I just got to make sure that I'm, that I'm super diligent with, with my archery gear and, and, uh, Make sure that I that I'm ready for my opportunities when they come, because those opportunities are, are, are fleeting and and they're really hard to create. I mean, I don't know how many miles you put in and how much effort you put in to just to create that opportunity to get a shot. Um, it's just heartbreaking to miss, and I absolutely hate it. And I made a lot of good shots this year too, um, and I and I need to I need to think about those as as well. But um, those those bad shots or those missed shots, those things haunt me. I just hate those things. So, um, anyways, I just want to work really hard for the next year and, and, uh, share the journey with you guys. So, uh, thanks as always as, uh, for all the support and, um, yeah, we'll get this second part of uh, Tony Treach's podcast out 
And uh, man, I think we'll be good to go. Um, so yeah, check in with you guys soon.